Good evening, ASI. I am at ASI, aren't I? Can we try that one more time? Good evening, ASI. Good evening. <laughs> that sounds a little bit better. Um, I'm very happy to be here this evening with my good friend, Bill Knott. Bill is the editor and the executive publisher for the Adventist Review and the Adventist World. And some of you may have noticed this evening when you came in on your chairs that there was a special issue of the Adventist Review. We do this every year. We have a partnership um, with the Adventist Review where they do an ASI-themed um, edition of the Adventist Review. And um, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about that. I noticed on um, the cover of this um, issue that you're dealing with a tough topic. And I want to ask you two questions. The first one is, how do you and your editorial team take an approach to a tough topic and kind of plan your editorial approach? And then second, the topic that you've covered, which is spiritual formations, I'd like to have you tell me a little bit about, in doing your research, what you found and how that is affecting mainline Protestant Christianity and also our own church. Good questions. We come to our decisions about the topics that we think are most important, uh, partly out of our history. The Adventist Review has had a history for 162 years of tackling difficult topics. And the day we start shying away from those is a day where we stop serving God's people. So it, it becomes an important part of our planning to say, not do, how do we play it safe, but how do we bring in front of God's people the information they need to make good, godly decisions week by week? This particular topic, spiritual formation, is being discussed everywhere I go. And so it was in many ways a natural topic for us to address. And as I've informed myself and others on my staff have taken the opportunity to learn about the currents that are moving through the rest of the Christian world, it seemed important to bring in front of this group and in front of the rest of the world church good, solid information about what is happening in our centers of education and what we aren't doing as well. I also noticed um, in reading your editorial that you took on a very, very interesting topic there as well. And you were talking about this divide that is often talked about in our own church. And that divide has to do with uh, whether you actually are paid by the church or whether you're a layperson like myself. And, and what I wanted to ask you was this. Does it make a difference if you have tithe dollars in your wallet when you're working for the Lord? Not to the Lord, it doesn't. And increasingly, it shouldn't to God's people wherever they are. Employment is not the test of whether we're serving the Lord. In fact, when, he's, when we get to the end of time, there's only one employer, and it won't be the organized church. It will be the Lord who says, well done, good and faithful servant. And that should apply to every individual who's been discipled, every individual who's got a connection to Jesus Christ and a vital mission in the world. And so I wrote about the fact that I've grown up as a person in, a, in an employee family, understanding that how much this distinction has been alienating to so many in the church. I'm grateful that the time is coming where we're talking about how are you serving Jesus Christ in this church, not where do you get your income. Another question for you. I know that you travel a lot. In fact, you're probably more familiar with transoceanic flights than a lot of the rest of us. But I also notice that you are here every year at the ASI convention. Why is that? That's easy. ASI has as its members the kind of people who historically are the readers and the appreciators of the magazine I publish. Adventist Review speaks to the central concerns of Seventh-day Adventists 
It speaks to what is truth, what is current truth, and where God's people are going as a prophetic movement. This is our kind of audience. We hope this is your kind of magazine because each year we come here to say, pick up this journal. If you haven't been acquainted with it for a while, look at it again. Let me ask you this question. Um, you're giving an Adventist review here to every church member. You have a lot of subscribers in our audience as well. What do you want ASI members to do with the Adventist review? If you're a subscriber, give that as a gift. 36 times a year, it will go into the home of someone you care about with a witness you may not be able to have. Come by our booth at 528. Talk with our team there. Learn how you can use this as a witnessing tool, as a tool to nurture faith in those you care about as well. Thank you so much. Good evening. For those that have come into the prayer room today, you know that God has been doing amazing things. This evening I have a testimony, and I'm going to have Shanter, she's one of our prayer leaders, share this testimony. For those of you who have read the book Beyond the Veil of Darkness by Esme Branner, in that book she talks about her two boys who were abducted along with her family to Saudi Arabia. Now these are the two boys all grown up. and. In October at Andrews University, Army had a prayer room, and Esme sent us a prayer request. And could you tell us a bit about your mom's prayer request, Tarek? She was praying for the deliverance of our souls. We were both bound by alcohol and drugs for years. She was praying for our souls. Amen. And so in October, a mother sent a prayer request to the Army prayer room, and these two men were the ones that she was praying for. Tell us what had happened since then. The Lord had just taken us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's what happened. Amen. He saved our lives. Amen. And so today, while we were in the prayer room, um, these two young men showed up. Why don't you tell us a bit about that, Adam? What led you to the prayer room today? Well, this morning, my brother and I, we were scheduled to speak for the early teens to give our testimony of what the Lord has done for us. And my mother texted me because we got here early and said, hey, I'm in the building. So I'm looking for my mother, walk downstairs, and somehow I see a sign that said prayer room. And I was drawn to that room. Ever since we've given our life to the Lord, we just can't get enough of praising God for what Amen. he's done. Marvelous things. I wish I had time to tell. But I ended up in the prayer room praising the Lord. And I want to tell you that when these two young men walked into the prayer room, we sensed the Spirit of God just descend upon the room. When they praised, it seemed like something had happened and that the Holy Spirit had taken up residence in the room. So tell us a bit about your experience in the prayer room. The prayer room was just a wonderful experience. The Spirit of God was definitely in that place. As we were praising the Lord, I remember toward the end, I was praising God for leading me into the prayer room. As I was looking for my mother, I said, Lord, thank you for making me think I was looking for my mother and bringing me to the prayer room. And as I got done praying, the next voice I heard was my mother's voice. Amen. The Lord led her into the prayer room too. Praise God. Amen. And so a mother's prayer was answered for her sons, and then a son's prayer was answered for his mother in the prayer room. Good evening, ASI. Good, evening. good. We have uh, good news from, from Europe. As uh, every year we come here and we report about what is going on. And um, I hope we have our, our slides so we can show you a little bit of 
what was our convention just a, a few weeks ago. We, uh, we uh, held our convention in the beautiful town of Constance. Probably those here that read the uh, great controversy have heard about this town. So this, this place that you can see on the screen now, the previous one was the Council of Constance. That is where we met. And that place has a very, very interesting story, Ruben. That is, it's a very important uh, uh, site because John Hus was judge at this place. Yes, that's right. That was around 1416. And it was exactly in the same place where we met and you saw in that first picture. And the second picture was the, the, the inside, the Conthill. So it was really uh, exciting, as you can imagine, to be in the same place where one of the faith uh, heroes was condemned to, uh, to, uh, to die on the, stake, on the stake. So that was uh, uh, really impressive for us to be there in that specific place preaching the Lord's message for this time. You know that in Europe we are, as we all know in prophecy, clay and iron. It's a big challenge, but at the same time the diversity of culture makes also the continent and the brothers uh, rich in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had also a delegation from the U.S., and we are very thankful for that. We actually had uh, very important officers and people involved with ASI like uh, Ramon Shaw, uh, Desi McNillis, and your president, also Norman Wrights. So we're very thankful for your presence. Mm -hmm. And uh, as uh, guest speakers, we had John Bradshaw from It Is Written, and a very special speaker on Sabbath, as you can see on the screen, because uh, Elder Ted Wilson uh, came to, to, uh, to share Sabbath with us, and it was a great blessing for all the people uh, present there. So, Ruben, you are in charge of development, of growth of ASI in Europe. So can you give us some information about what is happening, what is going on? Yes, we are very excited with the growth that God has blessed us in such a way that we are now present in 19 countries, 17 chapters, and about 911 members. There are four chapters in this process of becoming new, um, new territories like Serbia, Bulgaria, all the Balkans are developing a lot of interest in ASI. So we are really thankful. You can see um, the, the map of different numbers of members that we have in different countries. And again, a diversity makes us also very interesting in terms of relationship with our brothers. That's right. And uh, during the past three years that we have been officers in ASI Europe, uh, a lot of things have happened. So we, are, we want to share with you a few of those figures because there are a lot of projects that have been developed during this time. And uh, hopefully we can see that in the next, uh, in the next slide. That's right. So you, as you see, um, we have been working in 13 countries in Europe and also five countries overseas. And uh, people of 17 countries in Europe have been involved in all these projects. Basically, we are focused on Youth for Jesus uh, programs, as you very well know here. Also, uh, uh, mission trips uh, uh, that 
we especially promote for young people and also, you know, preaching abroad in different evangelistic campaigns and also the work in uh, education uh, with young people. But as you see, there's a lot of youth, Ruben. What can you say about that? Well, we have, as Angel was mentioning, uh, several youth for um, Jesus. And um, just last week, uh, Portugal ended its first Youth for Jesus. And uh, three people have been uh, baptized in that process. So we are really thankful. And the blessing of having youth involved in evangelism is probably in some territories the first time they have this experience. So please pray for Europe and for the development of the evangelism with the youth also. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a result of all these uh, youth programs, we have really a large number of youth, you know, that is encouraged. Around more than 700 youth have been involved in these, in these programs. And as you can see now on the screen, we also have some results. We would like to have more. But talking about Europe, the, the figures uh, that you see are, for us, we, we are happy with them. Because we are talking about uh, 120 people in Europe, 47 baptized already, plus 74 that are preparing now for baptism. And uh, overseas, 765 people baptized, plus another 60 that are being prepared for baptism. So praise the Lord, because although we are diff living in a difficult area as Europe is, the, the, the Lord is bringing results. So praise the Lord for that. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. Good evening, ASI. I have the privilege of interviewing or presenting to you three different ministries this evening. <laughs> the uh, first one is uh, represented by Dr. Tuma. She's a family practice physician. And uh, where is your practice, Dr. Tuma? In Southern California. Uh, we have three offices, Fontana, Rialto, and San Bernardino, but I practice mainly out of Fontana office. Now, while we were talking and back there, I was already becoming enthused about witnessing because of your enthusiasm, and uh, I'd like to ask you and to tell the people here, were you always that enthusiastic about witnessing for the Lord? No. Actually, I was born in an Adventist family, but it wasn't until about six to seven years ago when my son attended some Bible studies given in school, and the fire of the love of God caught on him, and he brought it home to me. And my life has never been the same again. The peace, the joy, the security that the Lord has put in my heart, you cannot find it in this world. I never thought it was ever possible, but it is. So it didn't go from the parents to the child. It went from the children to the parents. Is that right? God used my only son to introduce me anew to his only okay. beloved son. And so why do you like to, to uh, witness to your patients? And you were telling me that there's other venues, too. It's not just to your patients that you like to witness to, Amen. but you have other, other ways, too. Now, if you're good and we have enough time, I'll let you tell about some of those other ways. But tell us now. In your practice, what are you doing to witness for patients, to your patients? First, you asked me why I want to witness. Actually, because of the big blessing that overwhelmed my life since I really knew him. Um, I developed a passion for his children all around me, not only my practice, but it's all over, all around me, wherever I go. I ask the Lord, any door that you open for me, I'll take it. Just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Um, at work... 
<clears throat> I witness not only to doctors, but to employees and to my patients. Um, I pray with every patient, not just this, but um, because I have a special interest in dermatology, all our doctors, our 12 doctors, refer their patients to me. So many of them are overweight, many have metabolic syndrome, uh, they have autoimmune diseases, etc., etc. A lot of things that are um, lifestyle related. So I start with lifestyle, and that leads me to the origin of the life of the health message, which is in Genesis, time of creation. And then it goes into uh, what God added later after sin and, and the plan of salvation. And it just goes on, and, and, and I end up giving the patients that's another thing, literature evangelism. I have our books all over my uh, exam offices, and I, um, I continually order books and avail them freely to my patients. Now, you told me about an incident with a, a Baptist pastor who was a patient of yours. Uh, tell us about that. Yes. He came in again from another doctor. He had a skin problem. And he had come to me before. And every time I pray with him, I, I never knew he was a Baptist pastor. We always talked, you know, about Christ and stuff. L last time he came, he said, uh, this is the last time I'm going to see you. My insurance has, you know, I, I lost my job. And um, uh, I, I can't see you anymore. So whatever you need to do, do it today. <laughs> I said, okay. So what, what are you going to do? What, what did you do before? And he told me. And then what are you going to do now? He said, you know, I'm an ex-Baptist minister. And I said, oh, so what are you going to do now? He said, I'm going to go back to ministry. I said, well, great. God bless you. And as he lay down on the table and I started working on him, I said, so, Pastor, tell me, what do you know about uh, prophecy? And he said, um, I know some, but you, you tell me. And I started with Daniel 2, Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, Revelation, how Sabbath was changed to Sunday, and the mark of the beast, and the whole... <laughs> When I was done, I mean, I talked for quite a while, all doctrinal issues, even the state of the dead, everlasting fire, what, everything, everything. <laughs> At the very end, I finished, and then I turned around to put the, the lid on the biopsy uh, little bottle, and he said, aren't you going to pray with me? I said, absolutely I will. He's used to me praying with him. So when I prayed with him, I thanked the Lord for this privilege that he gave me. And I thanked him for my brother. And I asked that um, I, I want my brother, dear Lord, please give him light uh, that he may see your truth clearly. I want to spend eternity with my brother and his family enjoying you, being around you in, in, for eternity. And when I finished my prayer, I saw tears falling from this Baptist minister's eyes. And on the way out, I gave him great controversy, <laughs> desire of ages, of Sir Christ, you name it, a whole bunch of books. <laughs> and he took them, hugged them, and left. <laughs> he got the whole shooting match that day, didn't he? <laughs> are there any, in your, in your witness, are there any particular uh, books or literature that you recommend or like to use, kind of maybe a little above some others? Wow. Um, Spirit of Prophecy, all kinds of books, English and Spanish, and they're available too everybody. Um, I, I use doctrinal books. I mean, all our doctrines, um, for instance, um, the rapture, um, the um, uh, everlasting fire, hell, all our doctrines. You use great controversy quite a bit. Yes, yes, absolutely. Steps to Christ, Christ. Uh -huh. absolutely. All of and prophets, prophets and kings, <laughs> you name it, everything. Wonderful. We have one minute left. Is there one more experience you'd like to share with us that you can do in one minute? 
Sure, I can. But can I tell you about what else I do? Do, please. Go ahead. <laughs> God's children are not only in my office. They're all around me. I'm talking on the street and stores. Uh, I, I, I give Bibles to, to the homeless people, and they say, God bless you. Mind you, no money. Bible. He's a Bible for you. God bless you. Thank you. And I just amazed. I'm, I'm amazed at their response. Anyway, I invite medical students to my home out for dinner, and I witness to them. I tell them how how I interact with my patients and my patients' responses. It's a great blessing for them. I go overseas to the evangelistic series to many countries, and I don't just do evangelistic series. I follow up the church, and I make want to make sure there's a revival in that church, and I take every measure possible to make sure that that happens. I even uh, there's there's so much more. Thank you so much for sharing your enthusiasm with us, and uh, may God bless you in that ministry. Time is short. Please do your best. Ask the Lord, what do you have me to do? He will tell you, and do it. Don't wait. Time is too short. Please. Amen. Hope to see you all, God willing, forever, for eternity with Jesus. Thank you so much. God bless. Our next... Uh, interview is with Pastor Neary, Peter Neary, and Christina Sanford. And uh, Pastor, since obviously you are a pastor, what are you doing with an ASI project here? Well, when I first arrived in uh, Las Vegas, where I'm a pastor, my IT person took me to Black Mountain. He wanted to show me the antenna where the downlink for 3ABN is. We, uh, we bring 3ABN to the entire valley of Las Vegas. And I turned around and I looked. And here's what I saw from Black Mountain. A beautiful view of the entire valley. And by the way, this photograph is lacking much of the, um, it goes way to the right and way to the left. And so I thought, this is a great place. I need to come here and I need to pray. And I remember that HMS Richard used to pray over Los Angeles. I thought it was a good idea. So I started going up on the mountain to pray. And folks, I want you to know, every time I went to that mountain to pray, my love for that city and desire to see something good happen grew. It was only a gift from God. I really felt this heavy burden. And so I would ask the Lord up there, Lord, what do you want me to do? And of course, as a minister, there was evangelism, which is actually happening. But something very unique took place. And that is I suddenly had a burden for human sex trafficking, which I've never had before and I knew very little about. And this burden grew and grew inside of me. And, and so I tried to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to do? And um, I was led through my, my wife's work. She has a job there in Las Vegas. Uh, there's a gentleman. And he heard me talking at an, a social occasion. And he came up to me and he just whispered, if you can find a legitimate project, I will fund it. And so I went back to the mountain. I said, Lord, you got to help me. And so I wrote some letters, some emails, I made some calls, and I could get nowhere. And then all of a sudden, I got a letter in the mail. And I looked at that letter, and it was announcing the fact that this organization wanted to open a home to help sex traffic victims. But I didn't know who they were, so I threw the letter away. 
And then I go back on the mountain and I pray, Lord, I can't get anywhere. What do I do? And all of a sudden, that letter came back to my mind. And so sure enough, I went home. I went back to the office. I looked in the garbage can. It wasn't there. But I remembered living waters. So I got on the Internet. I called that number. And they said, yes, we're the organization that's doing that. And I said, well, can I talk to your supervisor? And I made an appointment. And I sat down with her, and I'm talking to her, and finally, after a half hour, I said to her, you keep talking about your church, and you keep talking about your pastor. What is your church? Abundant life. And I went, well, we have an abundant life church in Las Vegas. And then I went, your pastor is Dr. Calvin Rock? She said, yes. I said, you're a Seventh-day Adventist? And she said, yes. And here is Christina. And Christina, I understand you were not in Las Vegas all your life. Why did you go there to Las Vegas? Well, my family and I had a situation where it was almost like an Abraham experience. The Lord revealed to my husband and I that we needed to leave Detroit. And we didn't know where we were going. And so God called us to Las Vegas and through a series of providential workings and events, God led us to Las Vegas. He took us to the place that he showed us, which happened to be Las Vegas. Everyone thought we were crazy. Uh, everyone, my family, my friends, everyone thought we were crazy for moving from the place that we knew and what was familiar to something ex just very much unfamiliar. Over the course of a couple of years, um, the Lord placed in my heart even stronger that Living Waters needed to open a trauma recovery home for adolescent girls. We sent out letters, and I told my assistant, you know, we're going to send out letters to everyone, and I just want to let you know that we probably won't hear anything from the Adventist church, but we're going to send it anyway, okay? And I, seeing that um, the economic state of the valley was in such ruins and just the economic state in general, nationally and internationally, I didn't expect to hear from the Adventist church. But God has a sense of humor. Um, a few days after we sent out letters, I was on my way on vacation and my assistant called me and said, there is this pastor who is relentless. He just keeps saying he knows someone who can help us open the home, and he has to speak with you now. And I said, well, did you tell him that I'm going out of town next, you know, on Tuesday? She said, yes, but he insisted. Monday morning we meet, and the minute that I share with Pastor Neary that I am Adventist, he just breaks down crying. And the youth pastor that he brought with him is looking like, why is he crying? Like, what is going on here? So then I'm getting teary-eyed because... When, when God gives you a vision, he always gives you the means by which to carry it out. Amen. And what we are here today for is to share with you about the mission and the vision that God has given us to open Las Vegas's first ever trauma recovery home for adolescent sex trafficking victims. This will be a groundbreaking effort. We are scheduled to open in November of this year we have the signature donor that, by God's grace, I was connected with Pastor Neary, who was connected with Pastor Neary's wife, who got us the funding to purchase the home. And we just want to share with the world that this is a real problem in our nation and in our world. This is an international conference here, and I think it's important that we all are aware that sex trafficking is real. It, it, it happens every day. 
it, your children are, even our children, yes, Adventist children, are able to be lured into sex trafficking. The average age for a child to be lured into sex trafficking is between the ages of 12 and 14. For those of you who have children who are 12 to 14, that is your child. And this home, not only do we educate the community about the dangers involved, in the sex trafficking trade, but we have something that can help them. This home is a holistic home. We use Christian biblical principles to help bring girls from brokenness to restoration. And Christine, if someone's interested now in helping you, pique their interest, what could they do to help out or, or come? There are three ways you can help. The first way is by volunteering. You can volunteer if you live in the Las Vegas area or if you're coming, you can always call us and let us know you're coming and we will set you up with something that you can do to make a difference in the lives of these girls. The second thing you can do is refer anyone that you know who may need help. I am a licensed psychotherapist and I provide, along with my staff, we provide intensive psychotherapy using a biblically-based approach to treatment. I specialize in sexual trauma. The third and most important thing that you can do right now as we're building the house, if you build God's house, he'll build yours. That's what I believe. The third thing you can do is to give. Log on to our website at livingwatersfamily.org, livingwatersfamily.org, and there will be a way that you can come out of your pocket to give to a broken family and a girl that's been affected by the sex trafficking okay. trade. Thank you so much for your witness, and God bless you in your project. Thank you. Thank you. And our next one is uh, Scott Richards. Good evening, and uh, you, what uh, ministry or institution do you represent, and what is your work there? Well, we're with Fountain View Academy, and uh, I'm the uh, president and also the bus driver. <laughs> and uh, Annalise Wallman here is a recent graduate, and she is, uh, has been in all of our video productions as well. Okay, now this is a school, if I understand, that has made those nice videos of the young people singing in different beautiful nature settings. And uh, surely, as those DVDs have been developed and sent out, you have received some responses. Can you tell us kind of what, what response are you receiving as people view these? Right. Well, we've really been thrilled with the response that we've been getting because we, we started filming these with the idea that we wanted people to use them to give to their friends and neighbors so that they could be introduced to Christ. And so we've been getting emails back for the last few years. And I'm just going to have Annalise share a couple of those emails that I think really describe the kind of impact that's been happening out there. All right, this one's from Daniel, and he lives in BC, Canada. Hi, my name is Daniel, and I'm 16 years old. I've been raised in a Romanian Pentecostal Christian family all my life, but never opened my heart to God. Just recently, my family received a DVD from a pastor here in Merritt. He gave us Steps to Christ in Song. I and my older brother have watched the DVD over and over again. When I saw those teenagers praising God and devoting their lives for him, I was very impressed and liked what I saw and thought a lot. What I saw changed my life and truly opened my heart to God. It has made me a better person in every aspect there is. I gave my, I gave my favorite sports up, which was a hard thing to do, to praise God. I also started helping poor people and talking to others about God and his salvation. Now, on April 17th, I'm getting baptized with my two older brothers. I'm a very happy person now. I thank God for everything he has done for me, 
And I also want to thank Mr. Lemon and the students for working so hard on making these DVDs. Please continue to make more. I'll pray for all of you, and God bless all of you students and teachers of Fountain View Academy. I thank you all so much. Daniel. Yeah. Do you have any other uh, particular uh, experiences or feedback from that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, that one, you know, that kind of tells, that, that uh, email tells how it's been impacting people who, who haven't heard the message before. But, you know, it's, it's interesting to see that this is even impacting people who have heard the message, and in fact, people who are giving the message. And I want Allie to, to just share one more, uh, one more email. I think it's really interesting. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to let you know what a blessing your music has been to our family. We moved to the Amazon region of Brazil four years ago to do mission work. While we were here, a friend showed one of your DVDs to us, and we were greatly moved by the beautiful music and to see the dedication of young people to our Lord. We saw it only once, but it stayed in our minds. Sacred music is hard to come by here, and the last time we went to the U.S., we purchased three DVDs, wishing we could afford all of them. Our children, ages 10, 7, and 2, have been greatly affected and go around the house singing the songs. My son makes cellos and violins out of Kinex toys and pretends to play them and is earnestly trying to learn to play his guitar. My daughter plays the songs she hears on the DVDs by ear on her keyboard. And our two-year-old marches around the house singing, How Great Thou Art. The oldest two children have their hearts set on attending Fountain View, but only the Lord knows how that might be possible. Twice a week, we all cuddle together as a family at the children's pleading to watch Steps to Christ, Go Tell It on the Mountain, or Coming Again on our laptop. Please let your staff and students know what a blessing their ministry has been to us. Michael Lemon mentioned on Steps to Christ, after one of the students saying, His Eye is on the Sparrow, that he'd been wondering if he had really made a difference when he heard her sing that song. I want to let him know that the hard work and dedication of he and all the staff and students at Fountain View have impacted and blessed this family in the Amazon as we bring the three angels' message to those in our small, small corner of the world. May the Lord bless you all as you carry out the work that God has set before you. Thank you, the DeSena family. Beautiful. You know, as I have listened to these beautiful DVDs, I've wished that maybe there was one that was kind of a summary of them, a little shorter, would make it a little easier to uh, share with somebody else. Uh, we have something like that? Well, you know, it's interesting, as we've, as we've heard these stories of people saying how they've been blessed, um, we thought, you know, we'd really like to be, have a, a larger impact. And so what we did was we, we decided that we would make a shorter version. Now, the Steps to Christ in song is, is a great production, but it's six and a half hours long. And, and it's, it uh, has a lot of songs in it, and, and it's, not, it's not inexpensive to reproduce. So what we did was we, we, we just finished uh, filming another video series, similar to Steps to Christ in Song, called Help in Daily Living, based on the book uh, Help in Daily Living, which is the last four chapters of Ministry of Healing. But what we did is we, we filmed a long version, just like Steps to Christ. It'll be six and a half hours long. But we also filmed a shorter version, a special outreach version. And uh, it, we were really, really excited as we filmed this because we realized that, that this was going to be able to reach a lot more people because we'll be able to sell it much more inexpensively and so people can hand out a lot more copies. We had a very interesting experience, though, when we were filming the very last part of it. Um, and I want, I want Anna, Allie to, to share a story that, uh, that goes along with that. Well, we were filming, like you said, the last segment of Help in Daily Living. And the last part of the DVD series is where Mr. Lemon gives his final appeal to the audience. And now there's something you have to understand about filming. When we're filming, we're all sitting in a circle there together, 
And one thing our sound, our sound guy has told us not to do is never, ever, ever touch your chest because that's where the mic is located. And if you touch your chest, you bump the mic and it distorts the audio. So that was something that he had told us never to do. Unfortunately though, Mr. Lemon forgot about this because he was so engrossed in giving his appeal. And he was just preaching his heart out and he bumped his chest. Now normally, Rio, our sound guy, would just say, cut and let's, let's start over again. But he heard a voice say, no, just let it go. And he looked around, he looked at Scott, he looked at the other camera guys, but he, he didn't hear anything. Or he, they were busy looking at their own cameras, so he just let it go. He just let Mr. Lemon keep going and he preached this appeal. And Rio told us afterwards that it just so happened that this appeal was the most touching appeal he had ever heard in his entire life. So music really is having an impact on the people who are receiving these DVDs. Thank you so much for your work, and we thank God that he has inspired your group, your school, to be able to make uh, DVDs like this that can be shared. Now, if the people want to know more, is there, uh, you have a booth here? Number uh, 622. Okay, thank you so much. God bless. Good evening. This evening we're going to hear from several ASI members who are doing big things for God. I believe that their testimonies are going to inspire and encourage all of us and help us define our own mission more clearly. I don't know about you, I think a lot of us must have grown up hearing thrilling reports about Leo Hallowell and the Lucero Riverboats. How many of you remember those reports? Weren't they amazing? Well, it was heartbreaking when this work had to stop. And so I, was, I am so delighted to introduce to you Brad Mills with Amazon Lifesavers Ministry. Brad, what is your mission on the Amazon? Well, Janet, we uh, run a self-supporting ministry that works to uh, continue the work of the Luzedo program on the Amazon River. We have three launches that we carry volunteer, doctor, nurses, dentists, um, and people from all different kind of health professions, including Bible workers, teachers, pastors. And we go up and down the Amazon, taking them to the unreached areas um, to continue doing the work that the Luzero used to do. In fact, the first Adventist church in the state of the Amazon, which is the north area of Brazil, was started because of the presence of the Luzero the, the boat that came with Leo Hollowell. He came with his wife. He came with his crew. And um, we've been able to visit that church, and we've been able to visit other churches and work in areas that the boats never were able to penetrate and going in using the medical um, branch to still open and do evangelism. Isn't that exciting? Tell us, how did it all get started? Yeah, well, in uh, 2007, the Lord was calling many people together. The Lord called my wife and I from Tennessee. Um, I'm a family nurse practitioner, my wife a registered nurse, and we, we felt the Lord calling us to go down and help with this. We didn't know how to make the first step. And uh, in getting in touch with the church, we found out that there was a group of local Brazilian professionals that the Lord had also been impelling to step forward and restart the Luzedo program. And when we got there, we, we, we worked together. The Lord providentially opened up so many avenues so that the program could get started. In 2007, we started by faith. 
faith. We had no boats, and within three years, we have three boats working full-time. We have over 200 volunteers, um, local Brazilian professionals that, that come together. They take their, their holidays a month off of work or a weekend here or a week here, and we keep the boats staffed with those healthcare professionals going up and down doing that. <laughs> That's fabulous. So tell us then, what uh, the Amazon Lifesavers, what kind of... Um, impact has it made physically on the people along the Amazon? Well, the places that we get to, it's amazing. We travel three days sometimes, four days to get to some isolated villages. In those villages, we'll sometimes get to, they haven't seen any healthcare provider in over three years. Yeah. Um, sometimes we'll come in, they've, they've never seen a dentist at all in their village. And we come in and we see so many needs. You don't even know where to start. We'll show up, um, we come in our boats, we bring all of our volunteers on the boats. We set up. We do dental work in, in uh, wooden huts or on, the, on the, the schools that they provide sometimes. We do medical clinics. We bring in the group of people. And um, we have seen so many things as far as the medical aspect, helping the people there. If there's a more complex medical need, we'll bring them out. We've sent some people to South Brazil for, for cardiac surgery that we mm -hmm. found in some of the, the infants and um, seeing the health really change their lives. And in fact, we see, as everyone knows at ASI, the, the health message still being the right arm of the gospel. And uh, in one area that we went, a little village in the jungle where there was no Adventist presence, we did two days of medical clinic, and the president of the village, who was also the director of the Catholic church, came and asked us, he said, what church are you from? And I said, we're Seventh-day Adventists. And he said, we would like to see a church from, from your church here in our village. Would you accept and we said, absolutely. So we got, we, we got on our boat. We went back to town. We said, we'll be back. We got a group. We came back with a local pastor. We spent a whole month. Immediately, a few days later, um, did evangelism. We had 27 people baptized in that very wow. first month. And um, we were able to uh, build a church there. And um, that's part of what we do is the church planting and building churches and seeing that happening. And the exciting part was, obviously, the Catholic church continued. And so... The director who had invited us came back to me and he said, would you come and preach in my church? And I said, sure. So we went in, praise the Lord, and uh, shared a message in the Catholic church. And I sat here looking at these people and I thought, they have no idea they're inviting a Seventh-day Adventist into the Catholic church. Amen? Amen. Oh, that's fabulous. So tell us, what do you hope to accomplish in the future? Well, as I said, sometimes we'll travel three days to get to one village. And all during that three days, we're passing village after village after village. And you go, why are we traveling so far to get to this village? And we pass these villages. The Amazon is so huge still. And we see the need to have so many more boats, so many more volunteers, so many more Bible workers. Um, Lord willing, next year we'll be starting a Bible school, a full-time Bible school, where we'll have a six-month course training the local people to become Bible workers, health workers, to go in and continue the Bible evangelism in the, the unreached areas. Um, we also hope, Lord willing, to start an aviation program that we can get in with our volunteers more quickly, where we have, let's say, a, a healthcare professional from Manaus that might take three days to get to the village. Well, if they have a week that they can give, if the boat's there, if the food's there, we can fly somebody in, fly a pastor in, fly a Bible worker in, and, and be more effective with our time. Wow. Well, tell me, I know that you're getting, your, pro your project is getting some of the ASI offering this year. So what do you plan to do with those funds? Yeah, we're actually getting a donation from ASI this year. 
um, praise the Lord, $20,000, which we will be using to help build a faster and bigger boat that we can get in um, and continue bringing groups in. We have three boats working right now, and as I said, we could use over 20 for sure 20. Um, to reach in that area. So we're hoping to use that money to get another boat going. Well, I know you've got lots more stories, and there's so much more you could tell us. So how can we get in touch with you and find out more about your project? We have a website if you visit us. We have a booth here, 111, Amazon Lifesavers Ministry, and we have a life, uh, website that is amazonlifesavers.org. Uh, we have a DVD here that was just put out. You can get just a little bit more information. We invite you to come by, ask questions, and come and visit us in the Amazon. Okay, thank you so much for sharing with us. I have a feeling we're going to be hearing much more from this project in the coming years, and maybe even 50 or 100 or 200 boats. Well, now and then... You hear about a ministry where so much is going on that it's hard to take it in. And that's kind of how I felt when I spoke with Dr. Nicolay Dunn of, um, I'm going to say this right, Hergelia. Hergelia Institute in Romania. Joining him is Stephen Grabner, the new president-elect of OCI. Now, I'm going to tell you just a little bit about Hergelia, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, right? Okay, thank you. It's really amazing. They have a lifestyle center, and I want you to hear this. They have about 50 patients per session and 22 sessions per year. Now, that's a lot of people going through that program. They also have a one-year medical missionary training school. They have a monthly help health publication, health publication, life and health, right? Yes. There's, some, there's other things, that's not all, but um, I just want to ask you, with all this going on, what is your impact on the community? Well, we have over 13,000 patients who are out there promoting Hergelia, and I guess unselfish love uh, is the best marketing tool, and that's why I think my colleagues are... are exposing at Hergelia this kind of love. And then we have this health magazine which goes uh, to all the uh, corners of the country. And actually it's a joint venture with the church uh, which we have 50-50. Uh, and goes every month out and tells about our work. But uh, I'd like to speak about new opportunity which just uh, last September uh, I've been invited to teach in the local medical school Listen to this. This is amazing. And uh, he, he, to say it again, I want to make sure everyone got that. In a local medical school, they have a nutrition and uh, dietetics department. Now, uh, this is a state college, right? It's a state university. Yeah, it's, it's this a state is a state university. university. It has, uh, has uh, 4,000 students. And uh, they started this uh, new, uh, new program on dietetics. I've been involved in designing their curriculum, but I never heard them back uh, three years ago and now in September the Dean called me and uh, he said uh, for the third year I would like you to teach vegetarian nutrition which I did and uh, it's amazing to see how the minds of 50 young people change during six months of, uh, okay, this is of teaching. 50 secular young people. Yes, yes. Uh -huh. And then uh, the second semester I thought I'll be free but the Dean asked me you know I want you to teach introduction to nutrition which is the first year of, of learning and uh, another course so I had to prepare every every week three three lectures and uh, the reason I got involved is because I see a lot of potential when you work with the first dietitian in the country to have impact on many people when I share with Dr. Hart from Lumalinda, Lumalinda has been involved in this I asked their help 
he said, well, this has the impact to, to raise the, the life expectancy in Romania for, with 10 years. Then on the top of teaching, the dean asked me to, uh, to design the curriculum for the uh, master degree. Oh, this is, uh, this is just so amazing. And uh, yeah, did you, I like that clap. He, he's designing the master's program of dietitian, dietetics, then, you know, right? It was approved by the state. It will go on this fall and uh, already another university for Romania asked for, uh -huh. uh, for uh, you know, doing that, uh, uh, that curriculum too. So this is, uh, you are scheduled to receive $10,000 in the ASI, yes, a special they are offering us with for, the this, diet kitchen for this project. In the, city. The, the school doesn't have a lab. Uh, for, for their, you know, practical nutrition, cooking classes, and so on and so forth. And ASI is helping us with a part. We will need another 20,000 to do <laughs> that diet kitchen in our city center in, uh, in the city. Okay, well, this isn't all. I understand there's more. And now, in Christian service, it tell, uh, we're told that the Lord will give to our sanitariums, whose work has already established an opportunity to cooperate with Him in assisting newly established plants. Now, have you had any such opportunities? Yes, uh, and you know, I can't talk about Moldova Republic, mm -hmm. Bulgaria, but let's talk about Israel, and it's a sensible issue, so I will, use not, I will not use the lingo. Uh, I was asked to go there and uh, advise, Israel. you know, to assess the, mm -hmm. the needs of the population, and uh, we uh, have a training in 2009. We trained about 35 people, and out of those developed a, a nice team of uh, professionals. Uh, I wish we had this kind of quality people in other countries, and they are ready to go. They've been trained in Romania. My sister Magdalena was involved with that, and uh, uh, they are ready to go. They, they ran a session actually last October in Israel with real patients in a kibbutz. We rented a kibbutz, and now we found the property. I would like Stephen to, to tell us a, a little bit about it. As Nick mentioned, Hergalia and others have been working in Israel, and Israel is a tremendously needy country. We've been looking for a property to start a lifestyle center, but it's very difficult. 90% um, of all the land is owned by the government. What just recently, Charles Cleveland made a trip, Nick recently made a trip, and we found a piece of property that's privately owned. It's only 10% of the land is like that. It's a beautiful property. It's already a guest house, has room for 18 guests has a sauna, wet sauna, dry sauna, uh -huh. jacuzzi. It's almost a turnkey operation to start a lifestyle center. And so we, near the Lake of Galilee. And yes. it's near the Lake of Galilee, um, near the Jordan River as well. So we would solicit the prayers and help of ASI as we explore this property. I have a special interest in it, being from a Jewish family, but it's really exciting to see ministries working together. And we believe that next year at this time, there'll be a health center in the country of Israel. <laughs> Amen. So how can we find out more about Hergelia's mission, especially to Israel? We're at the uh, aisle 600 at the end of it, so please stop by. Okay, thank you so much. How many of you will pray for this project? Thank you so much. Another area that's very close to my heart is the continent of Africa. My son Ted was born in Africa. After we'd returned to the States, we lived in Bakersfield, where I became good friends with a talented, dynamic lady, Celeste Lee. And um, tonight, it's my privilege to introduce Celeste to you as well as uh, to another friend I just met, Gwen Edwards. And they're not going to be telling you about Bakersfield. 
Instead, they are going to be sharing with us what's happening with the Maasai Development Project in Kenya, Africa. So Gwen, in a sentence, what is the Maasai Development Project doing in Kenya? We are changing lives in Kenya, one person at a time. I like that. So how did it all get started? Well, in the 80s, uh, or 90s, 1990s, um, Gwen and a friend of both of ours, Jan Meharry, actually started making friends with some of the Maasai ladies that lived behind Gwen. And they just went and did the womanly thing, you know, held the babies, talked about the children, mm -hmm. and eventually brought water when they needed water and took the children to the doctor, just did these kinds of things. And from that, a friendship developed and confidence was won where they were able to do more. Um, when I had the opportunity of going over in 1998, we decided to start building this a little bit more and we built the idea from Ministry of Healing, page 143, where Christ's method alone will give true success, how the Savior mingled as one who desired others' good and showed sympathy and then ministered to their needs, winning their confidence and then said, follow me. So that's been the basis of how this all started and how we continue to work. All right, that sounds very interesting. So what's happening today? We have multiple programs. Part of the one main thrust of the program are mission trips that we organize three times a year in March, July, and October. And I, I think of a story that happened on one of our mission trips a year ago that really exemplifies what MDP is about in changing lives one person at a time. A year ago, we were at a mission trip on our last clinic in Kenya. All of this happens in Kenya. And we were at a school holding our clinics. It was our last day. And there was a, an American man on the trip who had talked about an organization that he had been fundraising for. That is his profession is to fundraise. And he had just been with a group of women that live, uh, have lived abused lives and are in actual hiding situations. They live in an, or, in a, an institution, a place. And he had told us that the women said if there was anyone that he met during the trip in Kenya that exemplified what they had gone for or what they now were living and stood for, that they would like to support someone. So our last day of clinic, there was a young girl brought to us by the headmaster of the school, and she, we have a picture of her. When I saw her, she looked very, very old. Um, she had just gone through a very critical situation. Her 13-year-old sister had gone through circumcision and preparing her to be married so that the father could, let, could collect the dowry. Um, the 10-year-old girl that you see a picture of right now watched her sister go through circumcision and then die because she bled to death. They couldn't stop the bleeding. Mm. So the chief of the area had investigated the situation and had the father and the woman who had performed the circumcision put into jail. And continued to investigate and found out a little bit later that now the uncle was intending to have the 10-year-old circumcised in order that she could be married to the person that her 13-year-old sister was going to be married to, and then he could collect the dowry and get the father out of prison. So the headmaster of the school asked, could we help in this situation? And it was an exact match. Here was a young girl who needed hope, who needed a changed life, and the, our lay pastor stepped in and then was able to help 
connect the two people together, and now she is in our rescue center. And I'll let Celeste tell about that rescue center. Um, we have a rescue center that's on 15 acres where we house these girls that are what we call high risk, and we want to thank ASI for the funds that they are going to give us this year because that will um, build the education center that will be used by the entire community for literacy classes, for um, tailoring classes, all kinds of things that will benefit the community. So we want to thank you for that. Okay, now that sounds just almost unbelievable what's happening over there. And I know that's just one of many stories. But tell me, how is all of this work impacting the people spiritually? Um, once you follow the principle that I spoke about at the beginning of mingling with the people and winning their confidence, then they want to hear what you have to say about Christ. And when we have these girls, we get the opportunity to witness to them, to have worships with them. Um, many of them were baptized last March, and we also make an impact in the adults in the community in the same way. And we have had many, many baptisms over the years as a result. So how many at-risk girls do you have in, the, in your home right now in this hostel? Um, in, we sponsor close to 100, about but in 100. this hostel we have about 50. All right. So tell us, how can ASI members become involved in your mission? ASI members can become involved in a lot of ways from as simple as donating a bottle of children's vitamins to um, sponsoring a girl, sponsoring a lay pastor, going on a mission trip, um, providing more funds for other buildings, for a well, all kinds of things that are needed. That's how you can get involved. And how can they connect with you? We have a booth here. It's at 128. 126. 126, thank you. And also our website is www.themdpmasaidevelopmentproject.org. Okay. Facebook is another good way. You can Facebook, actually see pictures yes. of what's been happening just, on Facebook. Just Google Maasai Development Project and you'll, you'll find, find something, <laughs> yes. Okay, well, thank you so much for being instruments in God's hands to change lives one person at a, at a time. time. Thank, thank you so you. much. You know, truly... As sure as the Lord has a place for us in heaven, he has a work for us on this earth. And these two ladies have a very special work and mission in their private mission fields, which is in their home. Right here we have Miss Patty Guthrie, and you have an incredible testimony about your cooking school. Could you share some of that with us? Well, for many years I've done cooking classes in our, ch in our local church, and over the time we've developed a mailing list uh, now it's gone to email mailing list of people who are interested. And then over time, some people asked if they couldn't get a little bit more information. So we said, sure. Okay, we have been really trying to track one of your um, students down. Tell about the lady that lost like 55 pounds in like three or four months. Right. Uh, in fact, we've invited her and her family to come to ASI, and they're here this evening, so we're just thrilled for that. Um, but she was interested in, in learning about the uh, Adventist lifestyle and a vegetarian plant-based diet, and she tried most of her life to maintain her weight and has always had a challenge doing all different kinds of diets. And uh, so she came over to my home, along with a few other ladies who had asked for special interest, or had special interest in that. So we would make things and, and cook together and then try things. And uh, she, she just, she went home one, 
time and she cleaned out her whole cupboard and she came back and she said, we're just doing it all. Okay, what is all? What did she do? ABC. She got rid of, she had, I don't know how many freezers full of frozen meat. All oh. kinds of frozen meat that she, I mean, they, they loved meat and some people do it gradually. She decided she wanted to do it just all at once. And so she cleaned out everything and she told me all about, uh, and we introduced her to um, uh, meat substitutes because if you just drop it and you don't have anything to replace okay. while you're learning recipes. So she learned. So you took her gradually. Right, right. But anyway, she told me for the first time in her life, she's not hungry, but she's losing on the average of a couple of pounds a week. And she's just thrilled. And um, she told me also she noticed her mind is clearer. And that is really the main reason we teach the health message. Because we could die in a car accident tomorrow, so we wouldn't have lived our 90 years or whatever. So what was the point of living healthfully? It's so we can have a clear mind every day. Amen. And so the Lord can speak through us and to us. All right. So how did you come to a point where you're bringing people into your home to do this? Well, there's um, one lady in particular that has come for years to our classes at the church. And she just, every time she sees my husband, she says, what did your wife fix you for lunch today? And so uh, she's been, she's even, I've used her to help with registration and so on uh, when we have our classes. So I invited her to come home. And uh, she's a diabetic. And so we did some cooking. And then one night she went home. The next morning she checked her blood sugar 30 points lower after one meal at my house than it had ever been since she'd been a diabetic. And she was so excited. And so was I. I thought it really works. <laughs> now, this has been a true ministry for you, and I understand that, you know, one of your guests, they're not even Adventists, but you brought them here, and they're just soaking all of this up. Right. They, I tell you truly, they have been a blessing to us. We just praise God for them, and uh, there are people out there all over the place, and our health message is something that when we do our classes, we say, you know, we're not trying to get you to be a part of our church, because God intends for the whole world to be blessed with health. Whether you ever choose to love or serve him, he loves you. Amen. And he wants you Amen. to be healthy, even if it's just this life. So it's very freeing for us to share. But inevitably, people will say, um, so when, when do you have church? We'd like to come to your church, and they do. Truly, that is our entering wedge to the gospel, the right arm of the gospel, which is our health message. And this young lady, okay, first, I want you to know and she doesn't mind me telling you, she is 81 years young. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Now, Miss Vivian, I almost, you almost feel like my sister. You, I mean, this sounds like it's so old. But how did you start? What is your ministry? Well, <clears throat> Melissa, 16 months ago, our Dalton, Georgia church revived its small group program. And the Lord impressed me to have a health-oriented one. So the word spreads quickly, and my condominium can accommodate 12 people, and so half of them are friends from the community. We meet each Tuesday evening at uh, 6 o'clock, and people come on time because we have a drawing for a, a loaf of homemade bread. Is this your homemade bread? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, Did you bring uh, any? No, I, well, I brought some of my roommates eating it all up. <laughs> we'll talk later, okay. <laughs> she reminded me to bring some. Uh, we eat at six shortly after that. We, we always hug when they arrive. We're like family now. We have a prayer, join hands, have a prayer, and we eat. And I generally serve something. It's a light supper, something that's going to be demonstrated on the DVD that evening. So we watch about a 30-minute DVD, and then it's, uh, have a discussion. So it's generally over by about 8 o'clock. 
what has been one of the most profound miracles that you've mm. seen through your home ministry? Well, uh, two of the newest people that have joined are a young couple that, uh, that is engaged. She's, she's pregnant. He got in trouble with the law, and so we're helping him go to and from his uh, five days a week uh, lifestyle rehab classes. <laughs> and they really want to get married, so we're helping them get into uh, marriage premarital counseling and, and helping them buy a marriage license. And this is a new start in his life. He's really determined to So go in other clean. words, they're turning their entire lifestyle around. Yes, yes that's right. Yeah, we have... Uh, we have people from all uh, walks of life. Two nurses just joined. We have two ladies who teach, teach special ed in the uh, county schools. So it's, it's quite a mix of people, and we've, we've become very close. So this is like the entire community coming to your condo. <laughs> it it's, seems like it, yes. It's, well, I mean, so what else is it that you do? I mean, you were just so excited. Well, uh, Melissa, I graduated with a music major from La Sierra, 50, La Sierra College. 59 years ago, and one of my favorite authors, Ellen, says she recommends that every church member should be a medical missionary. So we can do that. We can be trained. We have materials by experts. I use the eight natural remedy approach, and there's no reason why we can't all do it. I have excellent resources if anybody's interested mm -hmm. in contacting me by email. Uh, my address is rates, R-A-I-T-Z, at windstream, it's all one word, W-I-N-D-S-T-R-E-A-M dot net. Or if you haven't written that down, you can stop by the CHIP <laughs> exhibit booth number 727, and they can give it to you. Now, one but the last, Lord is blessing. Amen. One last thing for you. What really motivated you to do all of this? You were talking about, you know, your, your past husband, or your husband that passed. Well, uh... My husband was a family practice physician, and 20-some years ago, people were just begging for vegetarian cooking schools or smoking cessation classes or weight management. So I started into training. We can all be trained. We can go to our lifestyle centers. We can get DVDs, CDs, just learn, learn, learn. And I'm still learning. I'm just a trained layman, mm -hmm. and that we can all do it. I encourage all of you to try something like this. Thank you very much. We really have a job to do. Thank you, ladies. And the next gentleman that's coming out, he's a businessman. He actually came all the way from Guam, and he has a serious testimony. And one of the things he said is that it's better to obey than to sacrifice. Stephen Casper Bauer. I wrote it down so I wouldn't say it wrong. <laughs> Stephen, just share with us, I mean, first of all, were you raised Adventist, Seventh-day Adventist? Well, no, I wasn't raised Adventist, nor my wife, but uh, on Guam we have a strong Seventh-day Adventist presence through the Guam Seventh-day Adventist Clinic that has a lot of medical missionaries who come out to help the people. Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell you a little bit of how we became Adventist in a sense is uh, in 2002, a physician and his wife from the Guam Seventh-day Adventist Clinic um, through the urging of my cousin and our reluctance over about a year we accepted a Bible study with them and he was about 80 years old now what did you say what what religion were you before uh, we were raised Catholic but I had a very good Catholic growing up experience Okay, because you went were the to, altar boy and yes and we went to church all the time and my parents go to church all the time and it's very very loving 
good relationship in the small village where each village had a church. So but, how did your heart turn? Well, uh, our hearts turned first by the people, the characters mm -hmm. of the people. They were so kind and they were just so pleasant. You just could not turn them away. And then the message that they brought with their character was just so special, you know, and we fell in love with the Bible studies that we had and we just couldn't get enough. We soon were attending church mm -hmm. and before you knew it, my wife was baptized that same year. Okay, so your wife was baptized. You're still running an extremely successful business, correct? Yeah, we started, my wife and I have a tourism business in Guam. It uh, caters to Japanese and Taiwanese customers, mainly for ocean-related activities, parasailing, jet skiing, um, dolphin watching, etc., like that. And so we were running this business, and uh, my wife was baptized, but I couldn't follow. I felt guilty because I was still running the business on Sabbath. Okay. And so that held me back from being baptized. So you didn't have step. You were like, okay, I'm not ready to make that decision, so I'm going to wait. Well, what I had reasoned was simply this, is that um, in 2011, September, mm -hmm. I mean 2001, September 11, uh, the war on terror started. And that scared our customers from traveling to Guam. We have several military bases, we're U.S. territory, and our business just went down overnight. Oh. In 2002, after we had met the nice folks from the clinic, um, we had a 200-mile-an-hour typhoon hit the island with 15- or 20-foot waves that destroyed all of the assets. So we had no customers coming, and our assets were all destroyed. And we went into debt into the millions as a result of that. So our this is while you're still in the valley of decision. And that's correct. Okay. So the Lord is... Well, at least he allowed me to tread water. I admired my <laughs> wife, Carmen, for making the decision to go forward, but I had rationalized that if I was to close on Sabbath, we would go bankrupt, mm -hmm. and therefore we would never be able to pay our bills back, and that would be stealing. So now you're almost bankrupt anyway. What happens next? Well, what happens is as I'm floating down the river, I attend my first evangelistic series ever in my life. It's a two-week evangelistic series. Uh, that was held by Pastor Louis Torres. Wow. And he came to Guam. Amen. And as that series unveiled itself, I felt that somebody had been sneaking secrets about my life to that evangelist. And he <laughs> He's was telling all of your to me. business. <laughs> yes, he was singing my song. So the reality was uh, you have decision cards at these evangelistic series, and I was never aware of that. So I filled them out. Yes, I, I, I agree with the Sabbath and all of the other uh, Bible promises, but I never checked baptism. I didn't know you read those cards. Okay. And <laughs> Pastor Torres didn't call me. He came and found my office, knocked on the door, and uh, I was kind of cornered. And he asked me about my, my decision to not be baptized while accepting the other truths. And I just simply told him, I said, if I was to close on Sabbath and not pay all these people back, I would be stealing. Which sin is worse? If you commit one, you commit them all. Mm -hmm. And he told, he told me in a very kind and loving way, he said, what's more important, mm -hmm. your salvation or the business? And, and we know your decision. Yeah, my decision as well was, he said, Steve, if you're waiting to get perfect or fix things and then get mm -hmm. baptized, it'll never happen. You know, baptism and the Holy Spirit will give you the, the strength and the the resources you need to figure things out. And so I was baptized at the end of that evangelistic series. We closed the business uh, shortly after, first time in 18 years. And I remember getting ready to close the business, praying to God, saying, God, you know, I was raised in a way that you, you take care of your own problems. You handle your own bills. 
but in this case, it's impossible, and it was hard, but I put all of that burden off my shoulders and onto God. So, Stephen, at this point, you're surrendering totally. I'm totally surrendering. I'm saying if we go bankrupt, we go bankrupt. Whatever so, the decision, I'll follow. So in surrendering, what miracles did you witness? Well, we closed the business in the dry season, and it's not rainy, and that Friday we, we went home. Now, mind you, you have all of these what um, competitors with all of these tourist companies, correct? Sure. We have all these competitors, and uh, before we closed, I had to go out. I didn't even know I was witnessing, but I had to go out and write letters and talk to the vendors and tell them that we're closing because we want to honor the Sabbath, and they didn't understand it at all. Mm -hmm. Christian Sabbath, we have a lot of... So the miracle? Yeah, so the miracle was when we closed on, on Friday evening before sunset, and I went to bed... I woke up and I thought I had slept all the way to the next evening because it was so dark outside. <laughs> I didn't realize what was happening, but it was raining so hard. It was raining sideways, not regular. It rained that hard all the way into the late afternoon, and nobody went anywhere on Guam that day. So not even your competitors. They couldn't work on the Sabbath. They worked, but they didn't have any customers. They didn't have <laughs> But, now, how long did this go on? Well, we were blessed Sunday with double and a half the customers, and that raining in some extent, way more than the normal, even in the busy season. Every Sabbath. Every Sabbath for six months. Six months. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so, Stephen, where are we now? Well, today, uh, all those bills that I had floated for decades, it seemed like, are gone. You know, bank payments, mortgage payments, and the negative cash is positive cash, and we're able to commit and do uh, work for the church and be involved in the church activities. But I'm just so thankful for, one, medical missionaries. Amen. Two, evangelism. And three, I found out later on that my wife and I were on a prayer list on somebody before we ever met any of those people. And so thank God for prayer lists. Amen. Lastly, Stephen. For all of our business owners, you know, that are successful and they are confronted, even just regular workers that are, you know, given the option, work be on Sabbath mm -hmm. or be fired, what would you say? What is your admonishment? Well, the reality is when I realized I didn't own the business, okay? Once I turned over what I thought I owned, which was wrong, to the rightful owner of God and took my place as his worker, then I knew God would take care of it. And it's much better to be... Uh, under the working order of God who commands you to have a day off, I never gave myself a day off, Amen. than to be the sleepless owner, supposedly, of a million problems, you know, that you can't solve. So Amen. he has all the solutions. And whatever it is, just trust him, and he'll take you there, whether it's closing or, but really, it's just honoring and worshiping him, especially on the Sabbath day, making it a holy day instead of a holiday. Amen. And remember, whatever you give up for Christ, he will give you double fold in this life and in the world to come, eternal life. Amen? Thank you. Have you folks been well fed? This is more like a feast than a buffet. And we hope you haven't overeaten because at the end of every meal, what do you have? Some of us, what do we have? Ah, yes, we have some dessert. This is my new friend and just met brother, Dr. Daniel Chu. Daniel, where are you from? I'm from uh, Hacienda Heights in Southern California. And what do you do in Southern California? Uh, I'm a cardiologist, and I have a solo practice. And I'm a graduate of Loma Linda University, class of 1990. 
Loma Linda University. And is that what we're here to talk about? Um, part of it. Part yes. of it. <laughs> um, I thank Loma Linda for giving, giving me the medical training. I spent uh, three and a half years in China um, serving as a physician, a medical missionary physician in the Seren Ransha Hospital. And therefore, I've gained um, some understanding of the needs of our church in China. China. All you folks, I'm sure, know where China is. What is the current population? Approximate. I think it's about 1.6 billion. 1.6 billion people. And how many Seventh-day Adventists are there, Daniel? According to our church estimation, we have approximately 400,000 members, um, Adventist members in China. 1.6 billion people, 400,000 members. Is there still a work of spreading the gospel to do there? Absolutely. Now, you told me that in 1949, something happened. Well, um, in 1949, our church function, uh, official church function, basically ceased in China. Schools and churches and publishing houses, sanitariums are closed. So since that time, there's been no formal opportunity for educating pastors or young people to spread the gospel. That's right. Now, you're working with an organization called? Chinese Ministry International. Exactly. Now, we used to see some folks here from there, and I think you have a picture of Samuel. That's right. Um, Samuel Wang is a student from China, and he was an atheist. He read some of the Adventist uh, writings, books given to him by a missionary um, back in the uh, 90s, and he became an Adventist, uh, came to the U.S., studied um, in Southern University, and he started Chinese Ministry International, this organization, about 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Now, give us a little snapshot of what's been going on for 10 years. Well, during these 10 years, um, Samuel has worked very hard to do translational work, translating many of the Spirit of Prophecy writings and Adventist books uh, into Chinese, and also promoting um, education. And we have built a church in the hometown of Samuel, actually. See the picture? Now there's a church, folks. And currently, this church is being used uh, to, for the uh, uh, services for the local congregation members in that city. And we also built a school next to the church. And see the next picture here? Um, it was operating for several years, about three years, and we graduated uh, three classes of young students uh, during that time. You can see a picture of that. Now, what, and what's the current state of that school? Uh, right now, since 2008, the school was closed uh, because of um, the uh, political situation in China. And we are working very hard to try to reestablish a uh, research a Bible Research Institute um, in China. Amen. I'm excited about something they're doing. Prior to my being baptized as a Seventh-day Adventist, I had the privilege to read 30 books written by a lady named Ellen White. And those books gave me a real foundation in ministry for Christ, of the love of God, and they want to do something in China. Right now, we have a very exciting project. For the very first time, 
CMI was able to secure a legal uh, right to publish the 12 in one um, volume, Spirit of Prophecy volume, including all the most common um, Spirit of Prophecy books, including the Conflict of Ages series. And we are going to publish this 12 in one single volume book. Um, and it's, going, it's actually in print. We're going to publish it in the next two months to be distributed in, even in the public bookstores in China, in all well, of China. This is historical, folks. So this is, this is very exciting for us. And uh, CMI also has other projects, uh, such as printing college-level textbooks, because uh, there's a great need of um, college-level seminary textbooks. There's no Adventist college uh, colleges to train pastors in China. Therefore, they have to learn it uh, with material um, that are translated uh, for them. Now, you're also doing work on the Internet. That's right. You can see a picture of our website. We've been running this website for five years, and it is one of the largest Adventist website that has over, uh, I was told, 400 or 4,000 gigabytes. I'm not sure with these numbers. But it has all the um, translated Chinese spirit prophecy books. There are um, media, there's sound, um, there's pictures, and a lot of good Adventist material on this website that's being used by all the um, church members in China and even overseas Chinese Adventists use it for reference material. Amen. Uh, 1.6 billion people, folks. There's a work to do. I want to encourage you to visit uh, Daniel at his booth here, China Ministries International, and pray about what God might have you do. Jesus can't return anywhere until the gospel goes where? Everywhere. everywhere. Most populated country in the world. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Have a good evening. Our next guests have also traveled far. Asian Aid, and there's a young lady here named Helen Eager, and she is the co-founder of Asian Aid. We're glad you're with us. Now, what can you uh, tell us about what's going on with Asian Aid? What is Asian Aid? At the moment, Asian Aid is sponsoring in Seventh-day Adventist schools more than 8,000 children in India, Nepal, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka. And um, we have in India a school for blind children with 180-plus children and also a school in India for deaf children with 130. Um, we also do um, village project development projects and we have a large women's health program in Nepal and also a rescue program for girls being um, sold into prostitution, those who have been sold or that we know are about to be sold. And this is a huge thing in, in Nepal and um, that is just roughly what we're doing at the moment. You know, folks, Jesus lived to bless others, and he blessed them in a very practical and tangible and needful way. And Asian Aid is following that example. Now, Elder Watts is here with us. How did you two get connected? We got connected through children. Through, through children. Asian Aid, caring for children. We were working in the church in India, and there were lots of children that needed help. And how did you respond when you saw that need for help? What happened? Well, we responded by contacting Asian Aid, and they responded by getting sponsors and helping the kids into, go, go into our schools. 
Okay. Well, one of the issues that came up, my wife was involved in getting babies from the, well, Dorothy would read the morning newspaper and find out of this unwanted baby cast into a well, and this unwanted baby put on the railway tracks for the train to run over, and this unwanted baby left on the doorstep of the hospital. And she'd think, I could find mothers for those babies. Why do they leave them like that? And so I suggested she better start visiting the hospitals and finding some of them. And pretty soon, we had more than 20 baby cribs in our front room and in the front bedroom. And uh, wonderful to sleep at night with 20 babies in your house. Well, you know, it was more wonderful than thinking of those babies going to a very early death, wasn't it? Yes. And he used and to sleep through it all <laughs> at night. <laughs> Don't tell the secrets, all of them, Alan. But uh, then, my wife was only getting babies and taking care of them. But well, one night, somebody knocked at her door late at night. And we've, she was told of a man whose wife with children had died from a rabid dog bite. And the man was having an awful time. He was a tailor. He couldn't do his work. He couldn't care for the three children. A little girl about eight years old was providing the food for the family. And so he decided the only way out of this was to, one evening, with the evening meal, he would give rat poison to himself and all the children. And a woman found out, and she knew my wife was concerned about kids, so they knocked on our door, and immediately my wife went and got those three kids. And one of those kid boys was a little five-year-old boy named Ravi. And, and we're glad that tonight Ravi is here to participate in this interview. Asian Aid brought him here to share with us this evening. Ravi, tell us what happened after you came to Pastor and Sister Watt's home. Well, as a five-year-old boy, just cannot imagine a home without food and a shelter, no room to stay, came in the loving arms of Pastor Watts, lying there, and a beautiful home, a beautiful care given by Mrs. Dorothy Watts. I know she's not here, but deep down in my heart, she's left a legacy behind. Amen. And so you stayed in their home, you were cared for, you went to school? I've got the best education. Asian aid has come into my life ever since from five-year-old and has transformed me from nowhere to what I am today. That's the greatest investment Asian aid has made in the life of mine. Amen. Amen. And now what are you doing currently? You went to school? You he went studied. to Adventist schools throughout his high school from lower kindergarten to grade 12 and then to Spicer College and got his degree at Spicer College. Amen. God provided a Christian education as well as a loving home. What happened after Spicer College? Once Rather. I finished my Spicer College, there was a burning desire in my heart that I want to do something Asian Aid has put in my life. I joined Asian Aid as a staff and currently working as a field officer, linking dis dis disadvantaged children so that as I look into the eyes of the children, the only picture that comes into my life is what Asian Aid has done in my life. Amen. Praise God. 
that someone had a heart to respond to a need. Right now, AsianAid is, is making an appeal and a desire to start a new orphanage home. The, I'm going to say the Dorothy Watts Sunshine Home. Uh, they've got the blueprints, they've got the drawing, they have the desire to do it. I invite you to go by their booth at AsianAid, learn more of the work that they're doing, and again, pray, how may God impress your heart to become involved in a ministry that truly lives to bless others? Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for coming and sharing. My pleasure. Thank you. God bless. This young man has traveled all the way from Zambia to come and be here with us at ASI. Uh, Hein Myberg works with a ministry called Mukuyu Outreach on the banks of the Zambezi River in Zambia. Welcome. Thank you. Now, Hein, how did you get involved in ministry? Well, Tell these people. The first time that I had uh, a bit of a touch with, with missionary work was when I was uh, a student, first year student. I went and I did a, a month-long trip into Zambia, actually. That was in 1998. 1998. And where were you living at the time? In Pretoria, South Africa, where I'm from. Okay, South Africa. Yeah. So it's a short journey, just a few miles from Pretoria to Zambia. Is that right? 1,700 kilometers. Okay. It's a little bit of a distance through the African bush. And you, you got a little taste of mission service on that trip. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And uh, that was followed by, I actually joined Kim's son, Jabel, uh, and his nephew, Caleb, in South Sudan. And that gave me a bit more extreme taste of what mission work is like, as you can imagine. Going into South Sudan in the middle of a civil war and building churches and schools. Absolutely, yeah. And that didn't discourage you at all? No, we enjoyed it. You enjoyed it? Young and single and a bit crazy, we enjoyed it. Well, we need more young men like this, you know, they're getting older. Now, so you went on that mission trip up there, and still you had an interest, a desire for ministry. We did. Uh, after that, I moved to the United Kingdom. I stayed there for about two years, and uh, during that time, my older brother uh, started a, a little mission station in Zambia. Uh, he went there the first time also on a short uh, month-long mission trip as a student, and he got a very distinct taste or uh, an idea of the big need that was prevalent in Zambia. These uh, Johan and Hein, where they went, there was only thorn bushes, sand, poverty, and the Zambezi River. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I, I remember as we talked to Johan, and we're climbing in there. I mean, it's miserable. It's hot. You're sweating. You're getting scratched. Flies are biting you. And some were complaining about it. And uh, Johan said, you know, it's really not about comfort. It's about vision. And he had a vision to carve a little ministry to bless the people on the banks of the Zambezi River in that spot. What happened? Well, while I was living in the United Kingdom, he was on that specific spot for about three years when tragedy struck. You know, Satan has certain strongholds on earth, and the area that we, that we work in now is one of those. And you went through the work that he did there with church building and getting evangelism done. He was scratching on the surface of Satan's stronghold, and Satan didn't appreciate that. And uh, tragedy struck in 2005 in August. Uh, he went from early morning walk with his dogs and he was attacked by a lone elephant bull. 
uh, on the property and he died of his wounds about two hours later. We remember that fateful day. It's hard and tragic to lose someone you love so dearly. And there was a question, what's going to happen to the ministry? What's going to happen to the people that Johan was ministering to and serving? We were concerned, the people themselves were concerned. And as prayers went up to heaven, something happened. As I was saying, I was living in the United Kingdom at the time, and uh, when we went for the funeral, my mother made a comment, uh, she had a concern, and she said, who's going to take over? And she made the suggestion, why don't you come? And I rebelled against the idea, because I had a comfortable life in the United Kingdom, and I had my own, own plans. But I praised the Lord, and I, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. He started pricking my mind. And about two or three weeks later, uh, through the, con the, the Holy Spirit spoke with me, and he convinced me that I needed to go there. And I surrendered, and I left it all with the Lord, and he led me to Mukuyu. Amen. Now, we want to see a few pictures quickly to show the work you're doing now. Yeah, we've, we are lucky to have Riverside Farm Institute about two hours north of us. And what we do, we send local guys from our villages for training there. We bring them back to their villages, and they do excellent work, evangelism. Uh, we've had several baptisms, hundreds actually. Here's a picture of the Zambezi River where they get baptized. And because of baptisms, we, we are left with a need for churches. And also in the picture here, one-day churches. My good friend Alan Knowles from Riverside helped us to build uh, five or six of these structures in our immediate area. We've got three more structures that my late brother built of brick and mortar, the uh, traditional type. Uh, in addition to that, we do medical work. There's a photo we took about two days before we flew to, to the United States, a small boy that burned with porridge. That happens a lot. Uh, this young man was bitten by a crocodile, and uh, he, he was, he, it's a miracle that he's still alive. But we bandaged him up, and we sent him away, and he was back fishing in the water. And we are just so thankful that we can be a source of support for these people. Amen. Amen. My wife runs a small sewing school. Uh, and she uses also this as a form of outreach. You know, when she works with the ladies, she always has a way of turning work, the discussions into spiritual things. And uh, the ladies have been really blessed by that. We also do work with orphans. We support them where we can. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you have built a building where you want to keep orphans. We've built the buildings. Uh, you know, we're self-supportive, and we went there with basically nothing. The Lord has provided the means for us to survive. You know, he's so faithful. He came through every time. We've always had food and fuel to survive with. And we managed to build a small building we, we intend to use as an orphan home, but we don't have the funding yet to support them uh, regularly. So we support them with what we have in the homes that they live in currently with uh, relatives and other family members. Uh, but we hope that one day soon we'll be able to use that home. And bring the children right to where in you the are home, and yeah. care for them. Give them a Christian environment, nurture. And the plan is also there to build a small, low basic school where they can have Christian education, which is very important to us. Amen. Sabbath morning, you'll hear more about the work that God has called Hind 2. They're on the banks of the Zambezi River. Seek him out. Visit with him. Pray with him. He's one of the most remote areas, poorest areas in the world, serving those in great need. May God bless each of you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit 
www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.